Hey, Ron. Get up hey, on the, Get up on that microphone. I'm dude. up in this motherfucker. I don't have headphones, so uh, I have no idea how loud this is. Looks but like it's okay. Looks. I hear you. That's looks all I like a decent about. size wave in front of me. I think I'll turn. It, I'll keep going. I'll keep turning up a little bit. Should I do a mic check like I'm on stage? No, fuck that. We're recording. We're good. Fuck it. Who are we talking about? What's I don't going know, on, dude? Did we see Sacred Reich the other day? We saw fucking Sacred Reich. Oh, Rike. welcome to the Automatic Crowd, St. Vitus Bar pa Podcast. Uh, I will actually start by saying thank you to anybody who actually listens to this uh, <laughs> massacre of a conversation that Ron and I have. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of stunned. <laughs> um, Long Island ramblings. Yes, uh, the ramblings of uh, old Long Island people who are old and not my grandparents because they're dead. Anyway. <laughs> so am I. No, we have so much go. in common. I know. We do. Right? That's why we've been lifelong friends. I know. I know. It's, it's, uh, it's Metal, hardcore, thing. dead grandparents. <laughs> All the things you need to, for All a solid friendship. It's fucking beautiful. <laughs> yeah, we saw, so, uh, last time I saw you was at Sacred Reich on Sunday night. Right? They were great. They were awesome. It was super fun. That was uh, one of the, you know, I mean, last time we saw them was at MDF. and then the time Which was a blast, too. The time before that was, I don't know. The time before that when I saw him was with Crowbar at Limelight in 93. I did not see that show. So I can't say I was there. I'd be lying. Um, but they were awesome. They were, Phil Rind is a fat motherfucker. He's big. He's fucking big. He's big not stuff. small. <laughs> he sounds exactly the same, though. He'd be, he'd be high, yeah, he does, actually. And he would be uh, shopping in the Husky department at Sears. <laughs> him and Crowbar, that was a, uh, he... That's a fat bill. It is a fat bill. <laughs> well, I mean, he wasn't, that, he wasn't that big back then. Though. No. Uh, definitely not. He was, no, not at all. He was kind of little. He was right? kind of like us. Yeah. Oh. I don't know what not happened. Not like now. you. You're like a fucking walking corpse. Yeah, yeah well, you know, vegan life. <laughs> Giving off the vegan junk. Vegan life. No the GMOs. Are there GMOs in those fucking Hell no, too? man. Vegan organic cookie. Vegan organic cookie. This is my 3.30 lunch. That's it's my breakfast, actually. I haven't you, eaten yet today. I don't know how you function, dude. How's I your, have no how idea. How does your brain not shrivel to nothing? I don't know. It's... I take just enough B12, I guess. Ah, oh, supplements. Supplement. Which I don't supplement properly either. I'm dysfunctional. <sighs> okay, well, so anyway. So Sacred Reich were great. Sacred Reich were fucking fantastic. Uh, the new Carnivore opened, which is, um, is interesting. Carnivore AD. Yeah. I it's, um, well, it's supposed to be the two surviving members, which sounds okay. Like, you know, but Louis doesn't play. They just announced that he's going to be on the shows, and he's... Doesn't show up. Okay. What do you mean he doesn't show up? He just, well, they're just they announced on the page. webpage. Well, not really. I mean, Joe is playing, who's a great drummer. He was in Dark Side and the Communion and all sorts of bands. Right. And uh, no, but apparently the way it started was uh, Mark got the band together, guitarist from Retaliation. Right. Guitarist from uh, the self titled records died years ago, years before Pete. Right. Moral story is on the webpage, I keep saying that Louis is going to be back. The original drummer. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, but uh, he hasn't played with them yet. I don't know what's going on exactly. And now they have a Halloween show. And he's holding out for money. Yeah, the big bucks are coming. <laughs> he's going to be holding for a while. According to Rick DeLife, these guys are all sellouts and they're making big bucks. Uh, yeah, huge bucks. Huge. Are you Facebook friends with him? Uh, Rick? No, I'm actually not. He which should be. Although he's, he's maxed out. You can't be friends with him anymore. Oh, but you can follow, right? I don't know. I'm not sure how that works, but... But, uh, I mean, he is incredibly entertaining. He's like the Donald Trump of hardcore. Anything he says, you can't help but be intrigued yeah. and shake I'm your at, head. I might have to block him eventually just because I, like... 
I mean, he says some psycho so shit. You know, like I, one day he's white power screwdriver. He did. You know, the other day I, someone ta- uh, tagged me something that he said that was like white power. Oh, yeah. No, white pride, Trump. Like white pride, Trump, yeah. All I was like, wow, this guy is Nobody all over the map. Who the fuck we're talking about, but it's, uh, and you don't have to worry about it, so it's okay. <laughs> what was this podcast for? Uh, oh, it's this is the intro for the mighty Blaze Bailey. Oh, I was gonna say this would maybe fit Todd's better. <laughs> I know. Well, we'll hold out. We'll hold yeah, we'll out. Hold we'll on a little bit. But uh, yeah, this is the intro for uh, Blaze Bailey. Um, it's just that you know this is the first one we're doing, and we haven't seen each other. You know, outside of standing next to each other at Sacred Reich, jumping. Yeah, around. singing along to Surf Nicaragua doesn't yeah, quite cut it. But that was great, avoiding, and they were awesome, and I'm glad they're back. Old people hitting me in the head and stuff. You know, that. the crowd wasn't that rowdy. No, it was not. It was. Enthusiastic, but not rowdy. It wasn't too bad. It was very spread out. Yes, there was just enough room. <laughs> it was enough room. I could I could easily go to the bathroom and then come right up front. Again. It was comfortable, but they had a good turnout. I mean, good, yeah. you know, it was good. They're probably one of those weird bands that's a little too big for here and a little too small for there. Yeah, but it would have been cool. Like if the they Marlin Room, and, and had fun. if that existed anymore, I don't even know what's going on at Webster Hall. Is that gone? It's not gone. It's uh, getting renovated, uh, though, right? Yeah. Well, they said nine months. It'll probably be longer as usual, and and they don't know if it, what it's going to open up as. Because, you know, it's all AG and big money. If they were smart, they would just be a club. Just two fucking club nights. Well, they had to be making a killing. They had three rooms going every night. Oh, yeah. No, they, of course they made a fucking killing. I mean, and they used to push us out at live shows at like 10 o'clock. Oh, so yeah, they got the, the 10.30 the price, crowd coming. And the drink prices changed. Yeah. On the TVs. The drinks, the drinks would go up $3 a fucking pop. I mean, they were killing it. More than that. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, but, you know, so that's why they got bought for so much money. Yeah. I mean, that, that room, that building is such an anomaly. It's, it's like shit like that doesn't exist anymore, whether you can have that many rooms. And Definitely. Much, like, it's just, it doesn't exist anymore. But I digress. Blaze Bailey, Iron Maiden. Singer on two albums. Yes. Yes. Uh, what? Uh, X Factor and uh, Virtual 11. Yep. Right? Or is it Virtual 11? Yeah, I think it is. Nine. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's virtual. It's virtual that. something number. Uh, yeah, no, Roman numerals. Um, fucking awesome guy. This is very a, cool guy. Absolutely very cool. Amazing podcast. And for that, we figured we never theme our intros, but I wanted to. I wanted to maybe talk about some stuff that that uh, we never really get to talk about, um, and we didn't talk about in this podcast. So, uh, Ron, give me your top three Iron Maiden records. Whoa, of all time. Fucking hell. All right, well, I got into Maiden. Number of the Beasts had just come out. Right, so let's, let's, let's go back. It, it, as with most bands that have this many records, it is important to know when you got into it. Yeah. Because that would influence. Especially for this, because Bruce was the brand new singer, but I came, my friend just came over to my house with the record. He's like, you got to hear us, it's amazing. Number of the Beast. It was out for maybe a month. Okay. Blew me away, but I had no idea that I passed. Because I was like 13, 14. Right. So, so I bought it like the next week, played it every day, worshipped it, and then found out from a guy who was older than me, oh, that's the new singer. And I was totally stunned. And then I went and got Killers and self-titled. So getting into them at that point was interesting because everyone I knew was just getting into them as well and they were the beast. But the few people I knew who were older were Deano guys. But he was one of the few guys that came in where I think everyone really accepted the new singer. I mean... Well, he was already respected with Samson. And he was, but I mean, no one I knew so knew good. him. I mean, it was so good. It was like an ACDC back in black type of situation. Yeah, I mean, he's the best replacement singer of all time, pretty much. Yeah, I would say. I mean, let's think about that. Who else is a replacement singer? 
I mean, Brian Johnson and him are the first two I can right. think of. At the top of my head, we immediately go, all right, that, that's a no-brainer. I'm seeing except tonight with Mark oh, from yeah. TT Quick. I would say that, like... He's I, a great replacement. Fucking amazing, man. Yeah, like, I, I mean, he kills it. I saw them open for Creator a while back with him. Yeah, Tom uh, was at that It choice. was amazing. He's awesome. Yeah. He's, he's a great singer. TT Quick went an underrated band. Well, TT Quick did a lot of covers, though. They did, but they ended up... You know, they put out... They got signed to a major. Medal of Honor is on Atlantic, I think. Oh, wow. So they had their chance, but it didn't quite work out. Right. But, um, I mean, he's a, he's a great replacement. As far as modern day, he's probably the best replacement singer I can think of. Hmm. But, um, and uh, Todd, Todd LaTorre, Queen's Rack. He's great, too. I, yeah. I, I've, I've I don't think they're, videos, but, uh. I don't think the band writes as good stuff as they used no, to, but that's no, not his no. fault. No. He does his but job great. he does great. old songs better than Jeff Tate. Certainly better than Jeff today. Yeah. Jesus oh, yeah. Christ. Well, I mean, give Jeff Tate a break. He's, yeah, I mean, I saw Jeff. It's a pretty demanding job. Yeah, it's <laughs> brutal. And I saw him on the warning tours and stuff, and he was great. Warning! Yeah. That was good. Yeah, I try. I'll put some reverb on that one. Um, if you sing um, one, one, five, six, okay. have you gone too far to turn around? Oh, no, I love that song. Come on. I could almost, <laughs> I could sing. I, I just scream in hardcore bands, I but I, I can almost sing. I can almost sing. All right, so Number of the Beast is number one. Well, let me see now as the, that's how I got in. Okay. So it changed, it blew my head open. Okay. But um, well, what would you say? All right, I love Diano stuff equally. If, absolutely, oh, I love say, those like, records. What are the three Maiden records you've listened to the most? Like, could you, as it got probably the- that I can answer actually. Definitely Number of the Beast. Definitely self-titled Iron Maiden. And I would say Peace of Mind. Okay, well that's a good segue into my top three. Okay, which would be Peace of Mind is number one. That's your favorite, really? Oh yeah. Wow. Oh, dude. And when did you well, get into it? I mean, this is, okay. Because that's important, too. caveat with all this is that Live After Death is the best Iron Maiden record, period. End of story. That's but, incredible. But it's record. a live record, so we, I don't really want to count it. I want to go studio albums. Like, but everything on Live After Death is a little bit faster, a little bit heavier, and just... It has more punch, man. It's so punchy, and it's like... And the, the video is probably the best live concert video of all time. It's phenomenal. It's just, I, I must have the seen it. I've probably seen it 500 times. I'm not <laughs> kidding. I would watch it every day as a kid. I said, oh my God, this is so fucking incredible. Yeah, it was m- mind-blowing. Like, like, so, Peace of Mind was not my first Maiden record. That would be Somewhere in Time. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but I will say that Peace of Mind became my favorite. And a big reason why, Beyond the Trooper and uh, Flight of Icarus, which obviously those were big songs on MTV. Even though Steve doesn't like Flight of Icarus. Really? They never played. He's supposed to doesn't like it at all. Yeah, I don't get it. It's super poppy. Um, and Wasted They made a video for it, even. Wasted Years is on Summertime. That's Summertime. So, um, yeah, Peace of Mind, uh, the song Revelations. The version of it on Live After Death is the... Actually, I'm I'm lying, because Live After Death was actually the first Maiden record I heard, even before a studio. I mean, I heard, like, Number of the Beast and stuff like that. Like, here and there, you'd, you'd see a video, but I right. never, like, went out and You probably saw the one to the Hills video. I was in, yeah, I was in... I guess I was in eighth grade when, uh, when Summer in Time came out. Okay. So, eighth or ninth grade. Because I remember running cross-country to, to that record, but... You running cross-country is a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but Peace of Mind had... The, uh, the song Revelations is, like, my favorite... Favorite, favorite, favorite. When they did that, when they first came back and they did that, I got fucking chills. That song oh, started. I was like, oh so my great. god. Well, Where Eagles Dare. What a great first song on a record. Amazing song. Incredible. The uh, debut of Nico too. Fucking Still Life. 
Oh, he had his debut in Nico. Yeah, because I'm a Clive Burr guy, I got to say. Oh, it's fine. You can be a Clive. Clive was great. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it's... That record, I don't know. For me, that record is just fucking... It hits all the fucking... It hits all the, the maiden bases. It's a maiden home run. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's an incredible record. My number two, Summer in Time, which I already mentioned, which... Which, for I, my generation, is when most people started dipping out. Right. No, no, I, I, yeah, I totally... And, again... You know, like the few years between us makes a, a difference in. It does. Uh, I, I mean, by then I was listening to completely brutal music, but I always liked Somewhere in Time a lot. Oh yeah, it's no, it's a great record. And fuck, man, I lost, I lost it. The fucking Sea of Madness. Yeah. Is Sea of Madness on that or is it on Somewhere in Time? It's on Somewhere in Time. No, it's on. I mean, uh, uh, Seventh Son. Yes, that's Seventh Son. Okay. Alexander the Great is one of the sleeper right. tracks. And they won't play that. I know. So that brings me to my number three. Which is Power Slave. <laughs> Power Slave. I threw, I threw a curveball. But, to uh, me, Power Slave is the last incredible classic Maiden record. Yeah. Somewhere in Time I, I love, but their sound was changing. Their crowd was changing. Well, even. Somewhere in Time is the first time they introduced keyboards. Yes. The synthy, more produced, more polished metal sound. Yeah. Not as heavy. Yeah. And, um, yeah I mean, but I, Power Slave, I mean, know what blows my mind? How do you play 250 shows a year like they were doing, 200 shows a year, and during that, you write Power Slave? How the fuck do you do that? Well, at that time, I mean, I've read plenty of interviews with Steve Harris and Rod Smallwood and shit like that. And at that time, those guys, they were taking, I think it was like, like three weeks off a year or something. So they would write, record a record, go on tour for however long. They, they really were the band that set the standard for that sort of touring. They were the road dogs yeah. for, like, worldwide metal touring. And, and the production as well. Like, so, so they were at the forefront along with, yep. like, Dio had the big dragon set. And, uh, uh, I mean, you know, it was a priest. Stage show-wise, they, they, doing the they were the stuff. pinnacle. But, but, like, you know, before that, album cycles were a little bit shorter. Yep. And, and then they started stretching, and then, of course, like... I think well, because Maiden's touring cycle was massive. Right, and then, and then you fast-forward to Metallica mm -hmm. in the early 90s, and that's when, like, a touring, a touring cycle and album cycle went to three years. Yeah. You know, and then it's like, well, the band needs a year off. For Maiden, they, like, in, that, in their heyday in the 80s, they were literally taking off a couple weeks a year. Like, they and writing that record... And fucking Iron Maiden. That was it. Yeah. And, and it if was, you think about it, smart. if you look at the Live After Death... Inside there's like those tour pictures and the tour itinerary, oh, and for yeah. that time it's fucking unbelievable. Oh yeah, I got the I, well, I have the the peace of mind program. You can see it right there. Oh, I see the tour book. Yeah, yeah I have that at home. And that, that has that is has the whole fucking thing. And, and it's huge, I man. That. I think I bought that at like World Imports or that's great at uh, Roosevelt Field or Summers Mall or something. I, <laughs> Name drop, yeah. deep Long Island places. Um, for you will get I didn't that. See that tour the first. Show. No, I even missed that tour. The first show I saw Maiden was in 1988. Is uh, uh, Seven Son of a Seven Son. Um, Ace Frehley, Frehley's Comet opened. And my, me and my friends got there at 11 a.m. at NASA Coliseum. And we were the first people online. And it was general admission. Ran to the front when they finally opened the gates. This is after being there all fucking day. We were lighting fireworks and yeah. just fucking delinquents. And That's some white trash shit. Halfway through fucking Frehley's <laughs> Comet, totally. <laughs> We, I think we shot off bottle rockets at the front door and has a coffee on one of them. Uh, one of the front doors. I used to love those stories of like drunk metalheads punching police horses, which used to always seem to happen in that sort of coliseum. I mean, why not? In today's world, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean I'm vegan, but you know. Total, total. That was part sense. of like white trash culture then somehow. 
But, so, no more M80s, no more punching horses. Metal's really wimped out. Yeah, oh, totally. <laughs> no, oh, wait, so Sea of Madness is definitely on Somewhere in Time. It is, I knew it. Because that's a song, Bruce wrote that song. Yes, he did, actually. Yeah, it's one of the few that he's had on, and it's super catchy, and it's a fucking great song. It's one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we go to the show, and I'm in the front row for Ace, right? And at this point, I'm still, I'm probably like maybe 5'3", five, 5'4", five or whatever, <laughs> and uh, my feet weren't touching the ground. It was like, <laughs> and I was pressed up against, I had a fucking bruise across <laughs> my chest. Against the barricade. The Ugh, and, <laughs> shit hurts. And uh, halfway through Fraley's Comet, I just feel someone grab my belt loop, and pick me up, and and they just like this guy wanted my spot. So he oh, like, so he pushed you over? Yeah. And the bouncer <laughs> started going over, and I was like, no, no, no. And the bouncer's like, you gotta go, dude. Sorry. That's what you get for being ninety pounds. It was, <laughs> it was super funny. <laughs> oh man, so you lost your spot for me? Lost my spot. Yeah. And I went in the back. I mean, I went in the, in the back of the general admission. It wasn't too bad. Those really so, packed GA shows, man. I mean. In a, in a club setting like oh, Lamore, it was one thing, but fun. it was insane at like the where there's four thousand people on the ground. Oh yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, my uh, first maiden show was Radio City Power Slave Tour. They did I think five nights. It was December of '84, January of '85, and uh, so that Queen's Jack opened right when Morning came out. Oh wow, sick. And uh, but Radio City was not used to metal shows at all. They were really freaked out. They had tables like the one you have here for yeah. like what bands sell merch on. They were taking everyone's spikes. They were taking their wristbands. They were taking their, like, studded belts. They were taking everyone and writing and just putting them on a table. Oh, it's so crazy. It's seated. Yeah, it was seated. They were so intimidated by the crowd. Were they using the same set for the Power Slave? Was it, like, the same set? Or did they do something different? It was a little dumbed down from what I remember. They probably Um, couldn't fit it. (laughs) I don't think it would fit on the stage because it's a very different stage size and formation. Right, and well, Maiden's a band also. Their their crew is used to building the stage every show. Yeah, exactly. and that's a, that's a built-in thing. They can't yeah. do anything about it. So um, I, remember, I remember after the show, both bands were great. We missed the beginning of Queensryche because it took so long for them to, like, strip search everyone and take their metal gear. And on the way out, I remember there were just tables like that, like five, six-foot tables covered in, like, spikes and armbands and lighters, like anything that a, a metalhead would carry, being the metalhead he was. Yes. And people were just grabbing it. And I remember these bikers... Flipping the table over at one point because like something they had that obviously meant something to them was yeah. missing, and the tables got flipped over and security bugged out. And there were supposed to be two more shows, but Bruce got sick. Oh shit! And um, so it was. It was and then they it came was back. Five nights at Radio City. That was the idea. Or? I think it. They either played. I think they played five and was supposed to do seven, oh. or they played three. It was supposed to do five, but I think it's they played five, if I remember right. And then they came back like four or five months later, and they played the Coliseum with Accept opening, which is another segue for me seeing Accept tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time I saw Accept, and that was with Udo, and they were incredible. And that was them, you know, Nassau Coliseum. That was the full-blown arena show. Right, right. And uh, oh, it was unbelievable. Uh, yeah. I still have my Radio City T-shirt. It's Eddie biting the Big Apple in front of Radio City. I see, dude, you got to give fucking Maiden credit for that shit. Like, oh, even, genius. Even this last time when they played Barclays, they that, that oh, yeah, they have. Was... And if you go online now, what they do is, you know, the, the diehard collectors get the event ones with the date on it. Now made in print up more without the date, but you can still get the artwork of the city. Yeah. I mean, they got it all. That's fucking cool. I thought Gene Simmons was savvy, but he never thought of that with well, Kiss. The thing is that Gene Simmons is cheesy. And Maiden, yeah, he's a cornball. Yeah. Maiden, Maiden, at least, I mean, as you know, if you really look back at Maiden, it's, you know, uh, I, 
Alexander the Great, love that song. Me too. But it's literally like they're just stating the history of Alexander yeah. the Great and but, making it rhyme. It's like I Alexander mean, the Great rap. I learned more from Iron Maiden oh, than I did yeah. in social studies. I'm I mean, one, I barely went. I'm one of the many people around the world who, you know, in poetry class, I'm going to do Rhyme of the Ancient <laughs> Mariner, you know? I'm really cultured. Yeah, I'm super cultured. Check me out. I drink and smoke weed to the song. But, I mean, the, how many of us would listen to these Maiden songs and go back and try and find, like, Where Eagles Dare? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, for I, me, it like, was I interesting. I mean, in the context movie. of a yeah, band a, singing, well, my song, when my teacher talked about it, I walked out of the class. But when they sang about it, I would read up on it, but find it more, way more interesting. I know. Because someone, someone I, I, I gave a, a shit about. I would have just fucking like been rocking. Someone I actually gave a shit about was presenting it to me. Yeah. And, and done in, in, well, it was done in a context that you were interested in. But that's, yeah. it was, uh, it, it's, I, I always enjoyed that part of it. I think it's the only reason, it was one of the few bands like my mother wouldn't yell at me about too much. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Well, what are they singing about? It's not Satan. That's good. Yeah, you can be like the plight of Native Americans. Here's one to the hills. <laughs> so, you, oh, would, uh, so did you make it here to the Brian Slagle Metal Blade thing? No, I was at Exodus Obituary. Uh, okay, I was asleep uh, by the time you texted me. I had left. <laughs> uh, but I was here for that. And, and Brian, of course, was wearing an Iron Maiden shirt because it's his favorite band ever. <laughs> oh, they his favorite band? <laughs> yeah. yeah that, was a, that was a great party, actually. A lot of people showed up and... And, and that was the Black Dahlia Murder like record yeah, release, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Or they would you stream the and new record? It was record funny. I was hanging with the guitar player, who's my uh, my friend Star's uh, boyfriend. Oh, I know Star. This kid Brandon, yeah. And uh, and we started. She was like, "Oh, he Brandon likes yes," and I was like, "Oh, really? oh boy, you like yes." But so basically, you cheated on your wife with him to, <laughs> because he likes yes and plays we guitar. Went, we almost went to see uh, Anderson, Raven, and Wakeman on Sunday, but Reich was happening, so I was like, "You got a CW yeah. host." Until Reich wins that one for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I, I know I'll get another shot to to see uh, to see Anderson, Raven. Yeah, Sacred Reich haven't been doing like a quarter of a century. Yeah, and who knows, Phil? With Phil's weight, who knows? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I wish you the best, buddy. No, no doubt, he's not sick. Yeah, come um, play the club. Anyway, so yeah, please come play St. Vitus. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> so we started we started talking, and as he's a huge Trevor Rabin fan, and I was like, well, that's fucking weird, and and, uh, and I was like, oh, they're playing. He's like, really? Let's go see it. And then I felt bad because I had to go see Reich, but but uh, yeah, that night was that night was uh, super cool. Like, I, it's just like I've been reading the the Metal Blade book, and it's fucking really. I cool. gotta get that. It's, I would have loved to have interviewed him before that book, because then. We could have slammed him with such ridiculous. Oh, I don't know how much he goes into it, but it's, I mean, it's not. I mean, so I could talk for an hour on each band. I could talk for an hour about Omen and Sirithungal and Liege Lord. I mean, so it's crazy. Is that I didn't know that Sirithungal had been a band since like 1970. Yeah, they were friendless. <laughs> well, well, I met him at the. Um, I met him here at the uh, the Zach Sabbath thing. Oh shit! And we ended up talking for about a half hour, and you know, I talked to him about everything that nobody talks about. I'm yeah. like. Savage Grace, Sarah Thungle, and uh, but he was all psyched on that oh, yeah, stuff. No, I totally punish him every time I see him. Yeah. Oh yeah, I would. He would need an order of protection against me as far as like picking his brain on obscure I think, metal. I think what I, what I would personally because when I was but he was reading, awesome when I was reading the book. Oh yes, he's yeah nicest he's, guy. He's 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 kind of a little shy actually, but like yeah the uh, he opened up when he saw what a diehard fan of his label I was. Oh, I mean yeah, he's I mean, appreciative. He's appreciative of people who are going to spend money on this shit, but like yeah the. Uh, what I want to talk about, if we were to ever talk to him, God, I'm, I'm going, I'm angling all over the place right now. Um, <laughs> we got to get him. We uh, got to get him, though. And we'll go back. Um, was, uh, is his record collection, which apparently is insane. It's got to be nuts. Yeah. I mean, like, well, he talks about going to England in 1981 and just Buying all the records. new wave of British heavy metal stuff. Yeah, and he was saying by then that, that it seemed like it had sort of wound down. 
at that right. point over there, but it hadn't really happened. Well, the, the other interesting thing that I, I found from the book was uh, that like Rat and Motley Crue were bands that were influenced by New Wave or British Heavy Metal when they started. And That's like, interesting. Jackie Lee was in Rat. Yeah, and, in the early and, uh, days. Yeah, even Striper, who uh, I forget what their original name was, something Rocks or something. Original. I don't know their original name. Yeah, but uh, the... Uh, like all those bands were so they like stuff like Diamond Head and Angel Witch and stuff. Yeah, that's and, and not just Maiden and say like Def Leppard. Kind of hear was heavy on the first yeah. couple of records and Rat too. Rat has like a heavy tinge to it. Rat is know? definitely a metal band that's writing really commercial songs. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, they, I mean, totally. But uh, but you know they talk about how these guys were like they were they were actually writing stuff like they were that's what they were listening to and like you know people like James Hetfield were going to see Motley Crue and. Shit yeah. like that. And it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a very in-depth <coughs> insight into... The club culture, then, the club I imagine? The club culture in L.A. at that time and what people were into and what they weren't into, which they really weren't into that stuff until, like, you know, Quite Riot and shit like right, that. Right, right. took off and, and then people started dressing up funny. But, yeah, crew, what's that? What do we got? Yeah. Yes, um, that would be the Wi-Fi. See, yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Uh, no, yeah, no, that's go ahead, good. Dude. Um, so it, see that this has always been interesting to me because Metallica were friendless and basically moved because they couldn't find their fan base. But I, it seems like the musicians all came from a very similar beginning. Yeah. Not just where they lived, but even what they liked. Yeah. But then I guess uh, over time, battle lines got drawn, where it's kind of like. Kind of which side are you on? I mean, it happens. It happens in all underground music. Yeah, well, I think also those bands like started to change and get more commercial. They constantly went commercial. And the other bands constantly right, went less commercial. De- definitely didn't. Yeah, and, and, and all the other bands like Exodus were and the other bands that were starting up. Right, uh, like Exodus was in full force up in San Francisco, and and then he, I'm, I'm up to the part where he finds Armored Saint. Okay. And uh, and whatnot, and that's like. I think the best story I've read so far is when he went to England and they wound up in Scotland at some castle and the guy gave him a Merciful, Fate, a Merciful Fates demo. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and, like, and they didn't have anything but a cassette player, so that's all they listened to on the whole trip. And it, it's just like, it was the heaviest thing we'd ever heard. And I was like, oh, my God. I remember hearing that's that the first time, you know? But, like, I couldn't even imagine, like, Merciful Fate out of nowhere in, like, 1980, Oh, yeah. You know? Like, you're like, what the fuck is this? Completely. Fucking lose your mind. And, you know, there were so few bands pushing the boundaries and that each state only had a handful. So it was so new and fresh and under the radar. That it's funny for me, too, to read it and like think about like that Diamond Head and Raven played in the same week here. Right, at, that's at true. Zubatis. And yeah, I think Raven drew 39 people. Jesus yeah, Christ. Not. Yeah. That, that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I and they're still shouldn't admit that. <laughs> they're, and they're still really good, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. A Diamond Head is really, really good. Yeah, Diamond yeah. Head. I was here for Diamond Head. I missed Raven. Diamond Head were great. Yeah, I mean, and they only have one great, original member, but they're still. They're, it's just oh, they it's, they it's play the, really the old songs the right. Important ones. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the right member first it's of all. The right member. And, and more than that, though, that it's still very pure to what they were. So many yeah, times yeah. now, it doesn't feel or seem authentic at all. I even hung, when it has I the real members. Dudes. Those dudes last not this time, but the last time they played, and, and uh, we we were downstairs talking, and we as it turned out, Brian and I had. Um, he's a great player. We had similar friends. Uh, we had common friends in England. Oh, did you? Yeah. He's a great player too. 
yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but it was like... Does hearing his tone play his own songs as compared... He's just like a fucking normal dude, though. He's fucking cool. I, I really, like, you know... They were selling their shirts for 10 bucks. They were like... <laughs> it was like, yeah, last day of tour, $10, whatever you want. Oh, that's smart. Oh, uh, yeah. Don't bring them home. Like Make it. some money. Yeah, seriously. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Not that I was selling them for much in the first place. Uh... Yes, yes. And the password is no place for disgrace. All one word, lowercase. Is that Flotsam and Jetsam? Yes. Wow, this is a metal yeah, place. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was interesting when they played here, and I had to tell them what the... Oh, did you? Yeah. Did they enjoy well, that? This is the password, guys. It's your album. <laughs> yeah, from your it's not even your best album. Oh, fuck you. Well, Come Doomsday, on, Doomsday. Don't, don't uh, make me fight you. I love No Place for Disgrace, man. It's a really good record, but Doomsday's yeah. better. Come on. Let's be real. Uh, all right. Whatever. I can't sing Hammerhead or I would right now. Okay, why don't you go hang out with Johnny Stiff in his van and listen to fucking <laughs> No, I will not do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what it fucking comes down to. Anyway, back to business. Oh, yeah, Bailey's, so we... Bailey. So this guy is super sweet. Uh, he's got the best fucking Brummy accent ever. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it threw me for a loop when he first started talking. He's a joy to listen to talk, honestly. Yeah. Um, the and, one thing that really struck me about him was... Uh, He's incredibly driven and focused and just hell-bent on doing his music his way. And I, I really earned a lot of respect for him on the way he carries himself and the way he appreciates fans and just how f truly focused he is. The, this, his music is his life. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. So it, many guys at his age and that far down the road seem to, like, fit it in around what else they well, do. There's a possibility that he also might still need the money, but I can't imagine because he wouldn't be... Especially he brought his own band from Europe. He brought his own band, which he said was the first time he was able to do yeah, that. Yeah, and I just can't imagine that like he's like making a living at this point right. know, on it. It's, he's kind of doing it because he loves it, and that's... You it know, shines I, I through, I think that's pretty common. With, I mean, some of these guys packed away their money or invested right or, or made good publishing money. Um, I'm sure Blaze did okay when he was in Maiden. That was a sort of... Not a dark period for them, but... Well, it was a dark period for metal. I mean, yeah. he joined when metal, when Nirvana yeah, killed metal. Shit. Yeah, and then they were playing way smaller venues. Yeah, so they only. I'm trying to think. What, did they play the Ritz? Where the hell did they even play? They did play the Ritz. The Ritz, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know, it was the the metal market was so down here by mid '90s that he he replaced an almost impossible person to replace at the worst time in metal in 30 or 40 years. In the, yeah. In the U.S. He so. definitely didn't have uh, 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 timing on his side, for sure. No. But I assume he fared much better overseas, where the maiden flag was still flying well, pretty strong. About At points, America, he mentions, yes. Where they, where they had never been. Yeah. Particularly Chile, um, which I don't want to give it away, because it's, it's in the interview. But uh, this, is a, this is a really good one. It was a really special one for Ron and I, just like to be that close to maiden. Um, yeah. Uh, we, we will be that close to Maiden again when Bruce Dickinson comes to St. Vitus and does his book signing. I, yeah, I, that will I, be I great. I met him last two years ago, I guess, right after he had his throat cancer. Right after he had got announced or after he was better? After he was better. And uh, I was invited to a, a special taping of Eddie Trunk's podcast at Hard Rock Cafe in the theater in the back. And then George and I were brought... Um, George and I were brought... Uh, Backstage to get some stuff signed and meet him and chill and it was uh, it was pretty it was pretty fucking incredible. Honestly. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but, I really uh, don't fanboy for anyone, but I met Steve Harris once and I was a babbling twelve year old, but I was already like thirty four. He's short, right? He's, He's a little short. short. Yeah. They're both yeah, they're both a little short. But Steve Harris was 
he was totally humble. And I was like, oh, cool, I'll meet Steve Harris. And then when he stood in front of me, I realized it just hit me like a wave, like what this guy's band means to me. And I just, I oh, probably yeah. just sounded like a cokehead at three in the morning I at a bar. I was like, I kind of felt that way with Bruce, but it got ruined by other situations that were going on back there. But yeah, the, uh, it was fucking cool, which I won't tell that story. I'd love to, but I won't. <laughs> Ask me in private. Um, but, oh, uh, I will. But yeah, the, uh, uh, it was cool. And yeah, he's doing a book signing here on Halloween. And, That's going to be uh, great. I'm trying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to investigate a Q&A. I doubt it'll happen just because he's doing, uh, I think, other, like two other book signings during the day. Oh, he's doing three in one day? Yeah, it might just be two. But still, I mean, the one in the city will be huge. Yeah. You know, he'll probably be there for fucking I thought it hours. said they were going to ask questions uh, on the page. It said something about fans asking questions. Oh, okay. So this, well, in I some capacity. I the word people and just talk to them because you and I interviewing Bruce Dickinson would be the fucking shit. That would be great. <laughs> that would be great. And but, then, of course it would be great. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be the best thing that ever happened to him. Yeah, I have to email, <laughs> I have to email them. I, I, uh, I just, the problem is, is that like, there's also limited time because we have a show that night. So... You show afterward. Yeah. Oh shit. So you'd have to have to be quick. Yeah. Yeah. And but either way, that's great. You got him here. I mean, that's yeah, fucking I mean, awesome. It's, it, it's all through like when whenever the word bookstore has these things, they you know because they're around the corner. Yeah. And you have the selling trooper beer. You have a bit of a connection with Maiden. Right. Well, that's why we were. That's why we got to meet him last time, and that's why every time Maiden's in town now, we get the VIP in the backstage and all that shit. Yeah. And, uh, and it's uh, it's uh, like to say it's an honor. I know it sounds cheesy, but it's like, it's fucking Iron Maiden. You know? No, that's it's a like, fucking honor. It pretty I don't much care how punk rock yeah. I am. Besides that's fucking... Sabbath, like, yeah, that's know, royalty. It's super... Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, truly. And again, like, you know, as a kid, if you had told me I would have met Bruce Dickinson or Ozzy or Tony Iommi or, or Geezer or any, any, any of these fucking guys, like, I would have fucking laughed at you. Like, no. Oh, no. yeah. But, of course, it's fucking cool as shit. I couldn't be, uh, couldn't be more... I mean, shit, I would... I was psyched that Phil Ryan from Sacred Reich fucking emailed me once. That yeah. Cool. I'm psyched when, like... <laughs> I'm easy to please. Yeah, I, I befriend, like, a bass player from an 82 hardcore band, and I'm psyched. Much less fucking, like, Bruce Dickinson. Yeah, I don't, I don't get, like, that crazy about meeting people, but... I'm not that guy, really. Yeah, but it's I, fucking cool. It's just... It's I like just, talking to him. I, like, like Slagle, I talked to him for 30 minutes about everything I'd always want to ask him. Yeah. That's why it was great. Well, that's... I mean, that's you the know? cool thing about when those guys end up here. I mean, I, like people like Mustaine, when when Megadeth played here, I, you know, he, he was. One I have of a great Mustaine story that cannot be told on the air, oh, right. but remind me. But like he showed up, uh, you know, he showed up just before he played. He, I mean, they were here for soundcheck for a while. They did an acoustic soundcheck, and all this like weird stuff. But but I just like I didn't really get a chance to talk to him. And and same thing for like uh, I'm trying to think who else was oh Anthrax. But I, I mean, right. but I've. I've talked to Scott before. He's over too with me. Yeah, I know. And, uh, but Frank Bello's super nice. And Frank Bello, yeah. Like, who's, who's, he's winning like three to one for me. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, like, whatever. I, I, I get it. Not everybody wants to be fucking punished by drunk and me on, you know, on those occasions. <laughs> no, that might be rough. I just, like, I, I come from, a, from, like, a different perspective where it's like, you know, I'll bring up a show that we might have, a festival we might have played together or something like that. And, you know, oh, yeah. I remember that, blah, blah, blah. You know, so at least I like, hey. And I toured with Frank Bellow, so I definitely have a... Well, that breaks down any barrier at that point. But uh, anyway, yeah, Bruce, Halloween, going to be fucking sick. In the meantime, here is our interview with Blaze Bailey, formerly of Iron Maiden, on the automatic crowd. Up the irons. Up the irons. 
Hola. Checking out. Yo. What's up, Ron? Hey, Artie, how are you? I'm good. Everybody, everybody's make some noise there, Blaze. Hello. Ah, you are loud. Fucking singer. All right. <laughs> He's got the pipes. Okay, I think we're good. Welcome, please. Thank you very much, Art. It's, uh, <laughs> it's good to be here, to be back in Brooklyn. And um, I'm really looking forward to the show. Very excited to be here. It's the first time I've done a US tour under my own name with my own band. Oh, really? So, yeah. Uh, I came after, since Iron Maiden... Then I've used uh, local guys or, you know, and different musicians. You're just picking guys up for tours? Yeah, yeah, normally, you know, it's just, just the way it goes. And in Europe, I've managed to kind of stick with the same guys for the last few tours. And what's happened is um, we've done, like, four tours of Europe together. And I've got on great with the guys. And they've uh, played on my album. Uh, the, the last the two, oh, the two. last two the albums, last two. yeah, it's part of a trilogy, and uh, so I've managed to bring the guys that are playing on my album with me to the, the whole US tour. So I'm very, very excited oh, about great. that, and um, you know we seem to have had a great promotion on the tour so far. So it's something I'm very excited about, and I, I really, really enjoy touring in USA. It's something that I've wanted to do properly for. A long time, so I'm very excited. I hope the tour goes well, and then uh, what I'm hoping is that uh, I can return and make it a regular thing to come and tour in USA because I, I like uh, it so much. Right, awesome, yeah. I mean, well, <clears throat> we were we were just talking about the last time you were here. You played a place called Coco 66, which is yes, no longer very there. different kind of place. Very different kind of the place. The owner was taken out in, in handcuffs. Yeah, <laughs> not as that, metal. That club didn't end well. They didn't yeah, end well. I think maybe I hope I didn't tip it over the edge. <laughs> yeah, not quite as metal as no, this here, but this yeah. is where you belong. Yeah, that—that's it. You know, you, you scratch around for for gigs. You know, just yeah. you're starting off, and uh, that was what we had. That's all we could get at the time. And now we're in a really nice metal venue, kind of uh, the place where we should be. You know, where we normally like to place i'm very excited about being here and i i, I hope that um, it goes well you know i hope that we get a good reaction from the fans and that we impress people because i would love to make it a regular oh, i'm sure regular i'm sure place. it's going to be great what, we were just talking about too that your drummer your in on that in that show on that tour was aj Piro. yes and it was one of his last shows he went after that he went off to Continue and do a, a tour with Adrenaline Mob. Right, and that uh, was the tour he actually and that, one, was, right? that was it. Uh, it was very sad, man. He was such a great human being, wonderful guy, really funny, so genuine. You know, uh, just a just a fantastic person, really. Yeah, and it's uh, a horrible, horrible thing to happen. You know? Yeah, we grew up on Long Island and Twisted Sister was the gateway for all things metal as kids. Yeah. Because, I mean, they played the, the club circuit since we were children. I mean, they, Well, they, you, they we get the out. stories, you know, of, of yeah. the early Twisted Sister and listen to all the early Twisted Sister albums. Yeah. Of course, I was, I was a huge fan. Dee Snyder, as a front man, 
Let's say like White Snake were riding high at that time. It was like the antithesis of White Snake, Twisted Sister, yeah. Yeah. and the song "I Am I Me" was so different in, in, in the way that it sounded. So it was an incredible time, really. And um, I didn't see them on that that time that they came, but then on the subsequent tour with Stay Hungry, I saw them on that tour three times. Right. In the UK, and actually, just yeah, yeah, and it was just it was fantastic. You travelled to see them, yeah, yeah, all over the UK, oh. yeah, three different times. I, I I saw them in the UK. Where did they play in Birmingham? Your accent uh, is incredible. By they <laughs> played in Birmingham Odeon. The Odeon, oh, and yeah. the incredible thing about this, it, it was before metal got to arenas, and and it was really. You know, no question that metal could ever play a stadium in those days. So it was a time when every metal and big rock band that came through played Birmingham Odeon. Now, I didn't realise how small it was because, of course, a young man... It's huge to you. You see big bands at this big place. But it was only like a 1,000 capacity (laughs) and very narrow. I remember talking to Steve Harris about it in Iron Maiden. I said, oh, you know, I saw you at Birmingham Odeon. I was so small there, he said. And it is. It's a really narrow stage and and a narrow, uncomfortable room. But it was this golden time in the 80s where... Ozzy, Metallica with Anthrax supporting, where Black Sabbath, where every Bon Jovi played there twice as they were coming through, just just at the start of Slippery, slippery When Wet, just before that. So it was, either you so played, it was either you played the Odeon or you yeah, played a fucking soccer stadium? There was, no, there was no choice. There was no way that any band could play a soccer stadium in Birmingham. The stadiums didn't exist. Uh, Rock and metal did not was not at that level. It was the time of. But even even Sabbath. I mean, Sabbath was pretty big. Yeah, but everybody did this tour. Everybody did these 20 shows in the UK, 15 right. shows in the UK. Went right. Nobody played an arena right. at, at that time. If you, you know, it had to be some kind of festival. Or That's something. fucking cool. So yeah, it was a fantastic <laughs> time. And then you go to Donington Festival, and it was absolutely the biggest thing you'd ever been to. 100,000 people. That was a g- big game changer, yeah, right? Like, that, I think that was it, and uh, that was really tapping into what was what was going on. But you know, seeing Twisted Sister. In Birmingham Odeon and at um, in London at Hammersmith Odeon. In those days, of course, what people would do is, yeah, you would sell out Birmingham Odeon. So then you book another night. So Iron Maiden played five nights at Birmingham Odeon. <laughs> Iron Maiden played seven <coughs> nights at Hammersmith Odeon. It was completely sold. That's how they did it. Instead Multiple of, nights so, instead of one yeah. big show. So, of course, you've but got... that's a that better was, atmosphere. Oh, yeah, that's so, a better experience that for them. That was fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. Tw- on that night, I think Twisted Sister played uh, uh, three nights at Hammersmith on, on that tour. You know, you'd, you'd they'd, they'd put the weekends and they'd leave the other nights to say It was a fantastic time, obviously. 
very lucky as someone who's into metal and now living the lifestyle that I do and working right. as a full-time professional singer singing metal. What a great time for me to, in my formative years, you know, to yeah, be around and stuff. seeing bands. It was seeing Ronnie James Dio on the Holy Diver tour sing Children of the Sea. That was the epiphany. That was the moment the that changed my life. And that changed me from someone who worked a night shift in a hotel into a singer that was trying to make it out of a hotel. Right. So, so this brings us to Wolfsbane. Would, would that yeah. be... Before you go there, one second. How did AJ... How did you link up with AJ? Ask you that before. Through uh, through a series, uh, through some friends, a uh, great uh, buddy of mine called Rick Plester, who was in uh, World War Three, and uh, a buddy of mine called John Moyer, who was uh, with Disturbed uh, on the bass, found incredible talent, and they knew AJ, and we wanted to do a little project, and we called it the Foundry, where we just went out like an all-star band, really, and had a huge amount of fun um, and, and that was it and we knew him through through then and we just got together, jammed a couple of rehearsals and went out and kind of took it by the seat of our pants and it was a, a really great time, just a, a really fun tour of small places and we did it a couple of times it's so much fun and I think where I felt something privileged, something of a real privilege is you're standing on the stage with AJ Perot and you hear some of the things that he does and he's just crazy good and loud as everything it was just an incredible incredible thing you know and he not often I don't think in many many areas perhaps Nobody put him, you know, as one of the uh, great technical drummers. But I think that's because he played for the song. Exactly. And he played for the song. And what I try and do in all of my writing and in performances, you, you have the song. You ha it has its identity. And you try and support that. You don't want to go all over it, you don't want to pee all over uh, it or whatever. Did you ever, did you ever hear uh, his band Cities? No, I didn't. No. Uh, they were one of my favorites. And yeah. Like, he, he definitely played pretty technical on the, that yeah. record. But he, he had the it, ability, man. He could yeah. do anything. Oh, yeah, really. he, was a great yeah. he could he do anything. He back for the song, like yeah. you said. He, he could he do anything. Well, Twisted, required. I mean, Twisted, you know, they, you just needed a good backbeat, you know, because the melodies were covering everything and, you yeah. know, you weren't going to be able to show up. So, so Wolfsbane... Yes. Uh, so you got you start at that point. So you go see Dio, Dio fronted Sabbath. Yeah, and you're fucking psyched. And like, do you, at that point, are you actively looking to find guys to play so, with? So well, what happened was it it turned this. I, I love to sing. I absolutely love to sing. Had uh, you sung in bands up no, to that point? No, no, no. I'm just just a regular guy. Were uh, 18 years old, working night shift as the night man in the hotel, checking in drunk, drunk people, mopping up puke, <laughs> uh, hoovering, cleaning up, setting up the, all of this, you know. Sounds fun. So just a regular, it's the only job I could get. I don't have any qualifications. Uh, I failed everything at school. 
So they were desperate for somebody, and I was desperate because I was getting kicked out of the house <laughs> uh, at that time. So I, I ended up as the night man in a hotel. And, of course, one of the things was it's quiet at night, and then we all had cassettes at that time. But oh, you'd listen to music um, while you're doing things. And uh, that was, I think... Listening to music, all kinds of music. I mean, I'm a music fan. But there's that thing about rock and metal, which I suppose like good coffee, when you first try it, it's, it's bitter. And perhaps you think, well, it's not such a pleasant drink. But the more you have it, the less you can do without it. And I think that's the story of rock and metal, once you listen to enough of it, you can't live without some of that music. Well, it's, also, it's also a lifestyle, and it was one, yeah. of, the, one of the first, uh, I think, movements that had, besides, well, punk, you know, it, like it, it was taking from punk as well. Yeah, so I'm, on the, I'm in the UK, and I'm there at the time that the Sex Pistols are in the charts, at the time that all of these incredible creative punk bands are around looking at different things at the same time it's new wave of british heavy metal iron maiden are starting to come through priests are getting established and all of this so all of that is the time where i got into music and seeing ronnie james dio that night i went back to that job and got that hoover and started to go around the hotel you know about three in the morning and i just thought to myself well am I going to be doing this in the next few years? What, where am I going to be? I just saw this great band. Where, where am I going to be doing? And then I thought, well, if I could do anything, what would I do? You know, if you've got no restrictions. And I thought, well, if I could do anything, I'd be like Ronnie James Dio. If I could do anything, I'd be a singer in a band, singing rock and metal. I'd be a, and I'd be on tour, tour of the world with a singing. And... Um, and then it was just a very small step from there, but this was the thing, I think, that probably the most dangerous thing, maybe it's the curse of my life, maybe it's the blessing, where I said, well, well, there's no reason I can't do it because I'm a young man. I don't have any commitments. I don't have any children. I don't have any big bills. I've got nothing really to take care of. It's the time to take chances, yeah. So, yeah. so really, I could do it. Why not? There's nothing to stop me doing it. And... And I started like writing my own dumb lyrics at the time, you know, just working things out. And then in the local paper of where I was from, which was uh, Tamworth, I was living at the time, small town in England, and uh, we had a great music section in the local paper because the you at that time you had to write the footballs section, the sports section, and the music section. And the guy was into sport and into music. So we had this great section and there was a little thing in there. Heavy metal band requires singer. No experience necessary. <laughs> perfect. Absolutely me. perfect. <laughs> Heavy metal singer with no experience at all. That describes me. And, and went round. We literally were in the back of the bass player, Jeff Haightley, in the back of his garage. And uh, there with little six-watt amps that, you know, you that probably wouldn't offend your grandmother. And, uh, <laughs> and that was it. And we had our first 
rehearsal, first couple, nobody else turned up for the job, so I got it. <laughs> and, uh, and then we were also terrible musicians, we were dreadful, we couldn't get in anybody else's band, so we kind of stuck together. And, uh, and pretty soon, we were the biggest band in Tamworth, a small town in England. We were in the Tamworth Herald, on the music page, we'd have photo there. Uh, just because we stuck together, man. We were together six months. That was like five months longer than any other band had lasted in Tamworth. <laughs> so we did really well. And then it was a time of rock and metal, and we were pretty outrageous and uh, heavily influenced, I think, at the time by Van Halen and the Twisted Sister and the style of delivery of, of these great frontmen, you know, that were entertainers as much as they were singers. So that was it. And then we set our sights. Let's go, let's try and be the biggest metal band in Birmingham, you know, which is the next, the big city, the second city. And then we were going around the UK and we built up a following and we didn't have a record deal and we could play to 300 people. Uh, just with wow. our was, was Kerrang writing about you at this time? Just a like few that, lines right? here and there in Kerrang, yeah. we would crop up every so often, but we just kept going and built a following. And then we had... Were you still working at the hotel? Yeah, for a while, but we had this uh, bizarre first engagement where we got booked as a covers band to go and play in Dubai. I mean, not the Dubai that you know of today. <laughs> this is the old Dubai where there's a few expats and oil workers and stuff like that in a pub that's attached to a hotel. It's called the Red Lion. We were booked for three months there to go and play covers like Who and... Uh, like, three months. Like That's bon Jovi. Three months. Yeah, we were booked. It's a, a normal engagement for for bands, for club bands and show bands and stuff. Right. We were actually a metal band that were booked by mistake. I were think. you slipping originals? Uh, yeah? We were. We were doing all metal covers and stuff, and they hated us. So oh. we got fired after a month. <laughs> but, you know, that it came to bring. It's like we wouldn't. Pl I think that the crunch was the hotel manager wanted us to play "Shout" by Lulu. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 all of that business. And we just thought it was he was joking. But he wasn't at all. And when we didn't play that, that sealed our fate. He's gone back to the office and going, find me another band. Because I know on this one, they don't play Shout by Lulu. That's the song I wanted. And Baker Street as well. They don't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, well, <laughs> you know, we played Baker Street. What was it going to sound like, man? So, uh, so, yeah, we got fired. From this, from this thing, but even though we were fired, the money was so good, we managed to finance our first 24-track demo in a professional studio. Is that when and you shopped around? With that demo, we got an agent that booked, managed to get us a, a, a few bookings, and then from that, we managed to get our next demo done, and that's the demo that Rick Rubin, when he was leaving Def Jam, he heard about us, and he got our demo in New York, where on one of these places where people swap the demos of underground bands, and he managed to get that demo, listened to it, and he found us up, and we got a deal with Deaf American, which right. was the label he started after Def Jam. So that was it. There we were, these four working-class guys from a small town in England, and we were going to America for our, to make our first record. That was, what, 88? incredible. Yeah, something like that, I think. So he was in LA. What, a, what, which, yeah, um, what was he like? We got there, 
and a lie, man. It's just that is a culture shock. I mean, I think you guys call it, you know, you know, something weird. And um, we were really looking forward to coming to New York area to make the record because it's not so out there compared to yeah. London and Europe and all of that. You know, New York is very but, similar to London. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think, but. We, there we were out in LA, man. You could understand a single word that we said. Well, I, try and speak I can imagine your accent was probably even worse. Yeah, then. yeah. <laughs> we, we we would have to try and speak in slow motion and all of that to try and be like, oh man. So it was a it was a it was a culture shock. Did you but, when you were out in LA? Did you like hang out with? Did you like, go to the Rainbow? And yeah, of course, Hang out yeah. with Lemmy everything, and like uh, all the shit. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And uh, Ozzy was out there by then too. Yeah, we. Yeah. Uh, well, I think. We met Lemmy before that because we were lucky enough to get a support slot in England, in London, at Brixton Academy, which is the biggest indoor stage in the theatre stage. Yeah, uh, yeah, at at the time. Fucking awesome. And we were booked like as a low down on the bill because, you know, Karang were writing a little bit about it. Best VIP area in England. Yeah, and the first time I saw Lemmy was walking up the corridor of the dressing rooms with a towel on his head. He'd just been there and had the shower and had a white towel on his head. It was a vision. I could never forget that. Going, All right. And I remember many years later that uh, I saw, I saw Lemmy quite a few times over the years and he goes, and he goes to me, what's the name of that band you were in at Brixton? I said, Wolf's Bakers. Oh yeah, that's it. But he's, yeah, I met him, met the guys from um, uh, from uh, oh man, where's the name gone now? But anyway, lots of guys. What um, <laughs> what, did you uh? So then, so you went out to LA and it, but did you do the record in New York? Yeah, no, no, we did. We we were out there. We were at Sound City Studios. Did, uh, doing, it's so funny. Doing that. So did and did Rick produce it? Yeah, yeah, he did produce the first record. Did and he actually back then? Did he actually show up in the studio or? Yeah, yeah, he put in a, three or four hours a day, I think. Um, at one point during the record. Right. And <laughs> the, the thing was that we came for one of these concrete foundation things that they yeah. had back then. Yeah. Um, you know, all about like the metal side of the industry and everything. And we, we did something, I think, like downtown. And uh, we just loved New York, man. It was our first trip. And we were like, oh, if only we could have made the record here. It was just us. We, you know, when you've got, you didn't need a car. You got the subway, just like the tubes in London. You got the subway system. You got buses. You, you got can relate to it more. Yeah, people. You in New York, or you say something to somebody once, they don't say, "Excuse me, can you repeat that?" They go, "Yeah, that's a dollar." <laughs> Whatever. Well, it's it, just fantastic. Man. Yeah, there's that's also there's so the, many expats here. Yeah, there's so many. And, and People just are used to a faster, faster yeah. way of yeah, life. Yeah, a faster lifestyle. And so nobody talks slow yeah. in New York or anything like that. But anyway, that that was it. Obviously, we, we made it. We also have shitty weather here, unlike South well, Southern California, California, so we're used to that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we made our, our album in Sound City. It was a fantastic experience. I mean, working with some incredible people. And uh, and that was a real start for me, really, in Wolf Spain. Now, when you... Uh I don't know if it was before, I think it was after that album came out, you toured, you played Brooklyn for the first time because you played Labor. Yes, I think we did, yeah. I think, who were we supporting there? I don't, I did, I I don't remember, remember who you were with, but I do know you played. I, I know my friend was with Yeah, but I, I do remember. I've got some vivid memories. And was that a full U.S. tour you did off that album? Yeah, I, oh, uh, yeah, I think we were with... Um, I think we were with Death Angel at the time. Were you? 
I think it, I wow. think it was a three. Were they like 16? Sure. I can't make, you know, I'm always getting confused. It's, it's totally fine. <laughs> I, I, you know, I should probably show my age, but it was with Overkill. It was the Overkill oh, tour cool. that okay. we did. Right. And uh, we were like just at the opening band on there, you know, completely inappropriate for that style. But, we, you know, we loved it. We just did our best. We absolutely loved that tour, man. We just... I just love touring the US, and from that moment, really, I've just always enjoyed touring. I had such a good time on that tour. It's, I mean, yeah, that's a really great first experience. The, the, uh, so uh, you toured, you toured with Maiden, right? Yeah, we did two tours here with Maiden. Mm-hmm. And at what point, what, what were they playing at that? Like, what was the size of venues? Um, well, it was kind of in this change in the whole business, you know. Yeah. P three come in. And EMI sold all their factories, so they didn't produce CDs or any hard copies anymore. And uh, it was just before the reunion started with Priest and Sabbath and all of this business. So I think we we played quite a few smaller venues on that first tour. And then on the second tour, there was a few bigger ones. For me, of course, it was absolutely fantastic because I'd been a fan of Maiden for years... And every time we got to play a smaller venue, I would be thinking, this must be what it was like when they started. You know, without the big show, without, you know, a big eddy and stuff like this, just the backdrop and the band and the music and the passion. So I loved it. I loved playing those smaller shows that we had. How'd you get the gig? I auditioned. Just Yeah, Yeah, there was a lot of guys who auditioned. Yeah, I think the big advantage that I had was that I didn't have to send a tape in because I'd actually supported Maiden with Wolfsbane on 30 sold-out shows in the UK. So they were well familiar with you, Maiden. And I'd give, yeah, so they knew, they knew about me. As, but I was still just... And it was a guy that may be suitable is why I think I got the audition because <laughs> there's a lot better singers than me. So they'd see me, they'd oh, he might be OK, but... Let's see what he's like singing our stuff. And there was a lot of guys, you know, that auditioned. I think, in the end, my voice is really different to Bruce Dickinson. So I, I was going to say, because that, that, that might have been what they wanted. Because I, I think that it was, was intentional. It's, just, ca- it's just karaoke yeah. at that I point. Think, if it's, yeah. you, know. you know, when I, working with Steve on that first album, he said, there is no music written for the next album. I don't care who writes the songs... Who whose songs go on the album? They just have to be great songs. That's the important thing. So we worked a lot together, and a lot of my ideas made it onto the album. I think I had six songs that was a part wow. of the writing on X Factor, and um, I think four on Virtual Eleven, and some that I worked on that didn't make the album. So it was a fantastic time, really, for me. And, and that organisation is like, well, I've, I've met Rod Smallwood before. Like, it, yeah, I think it, the biggest thing for me is the confidence. When you're, you've been working for years, like in Wolfsbane, putting my heart and soul into it and coming up with the best things that you possibly can, and you don't seem to be getting anywhere. And then one of your ideas that you're working on is chosen as the single from the album, the first thing that people... is something that you've written. And that goes top ten in the rock charts worldwide, number one in the main charts in some countries around the world. 
then that's a huge amount of confidence to say, well, actually, my ideas are good enough. It's just yeah, that yeah, nobody's been I mean, able to hear them. So maybe, it, you know, in the past, uh, my ideas was, were good enough, but it's just that nobody... I mean, it's it. lucky you were confident because, obviously, trying to replace one of the greatest frontmen in metal history yeah, and, a, and, yeah, and with Maiden fans who were in so, so, like, dedicated, uh, what was that like getting on I stage? I think it was much worse for other people than it was for me because <laughs> it was such... Uh, a great thing having been a fan of Maiden having done that tour and being in the Maiden football team <laughs> and knowing the guys and everything and seeing what the fans are like for me it was just a pure joy really to be in a band where you know you're going to bring out an album well many many guys in my situation before any band on any label, the label will tell you when you're going to bring out an album, even if you've written the songs. I remember on Deaf American, I've said, you're not ready, you're not ready yet. You haven't got the songs for an album. Said, well, in Maiden, they already fought these battles years ago. Yeah. Tooth and nail, they fought hard. When Iron Maiden say we're going to bring out an album. Nobody from the record company has anything to say with it. It's all about the band. They had to fight that record company tooth and nail over the years. So they say, we're bringing out an album. No one's got anything to say about it except the people in the band. So that was a fantastic thing to know there was no compromise musically. There was all about the music and the people in the band. And then to say, right, whatever I actually do, it's going to come out on a record. And I'm probably going to make another record too. So it was a fantastic, liberating experience. And then you know you're going to go on tour. And in Wolfsbane, we just dreamed of living in a tour bus. That was our ideal home. And then in Maiden, you're going to be away. You're probably going to be away for nine months. It's yeah, I was going to say, they, they so worldwide. Like, thank you, Bruce, for leaving this huge <laughs> hole that I can just go. I don't care if everybody hates me because I love being here. So that's what it was like for me yeah. at that time. And, you know, there are fans that just did not want it. You know, it was that they, they didn't want that change. And they, they probably wanted Bruce part two. They, they blamed me and they, as if it was almost as if it was my fault that Bruce left. Yeah, I think it's this kind of irrational, it's girlfriend syndrome. Right. You know, it, it's like you don't want to believe that your girlfriend doesn't find you attractive anymore. Oh, please, please thank let's, let's thank God that the, uh, the internet wasn't a big thing at the time. You know yeah. what I mean? Cause it, it was just coming through. <laughs> just yeah. got, it was just starting then to, to become more noticed. And uh, to become a part of it now, you know, I, don't, I couldn't survive without internet. Well, yeah, people, but people, with the way they react, and yeah, obviously well, on the, the, you know. You know, it was kind of, uh, I think people were divided, but mostly people were on my side because they could see that I loved being there and I was giving it everything that I had. It was my heart and soul. I loved to sing those songs. I did the best I could with it. And for a lot of people, they were just glad that I made them was carrying on. For other people, they didn't want Iron Maiden without Bruce, and they they just... But did they forget that there was an Iron Maiden before Bruce? Yes. I think so. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's one of the things that Steve Harris said to me. He go, you know, when sometimes when people say, oh, bring back Bruce, he was saying, just don't worry about it. They still said that about Paul when Bruce had been in the band. <laughs> so, yeah. it's, so it's the same. When I was in the band, they were still saying, bring back Paul Diano. <laughs> so, it was, right. it's, so Bruce had the same thing when he was there. 
So I, I didn't really let it bother me. There's still some people that absolutely hate me. And I think that's a good thing, really. You know, I, I don't <laughs> At least you get be, the reaction. Uh, well, I don't want to be <laughs> someone who is just okay. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just... I think it's much better that there's, uh, there's a strong there's opinion. A, yeah. Some people, and, and I'm so lucky, I have the most incredibly loyal fans around the world. I'm just a very small, underground, independent artist doing things myself. But people pre-order my album and make it possible for me to, to continue to live this incredible dream that I'm able to live. Well, I mean, I was going to say, like, like you, you put out your own records now, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm totally independent. Yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting. So there's the power of the internet because, you know, yeah. in, the, in the early 90s and the 80s, you couldn't even come close well, to doing that, the, even, the in, even later. The difference now is a, a friend of mine said this, and, you know, I, I think it's so true that back in those days... If you put out your own record, people would say they can't get a record. Right. No, no one will put it out. That was yeah. a stigma then. I put out my own record with Man Who Would Not Die. It was the first one I, I, I did myself. And nobody said, can't get a record deal. Everybody said, oh, so he's choosing to try independently. Good for you. Yeah. So yeah. you choose to do it your own way. And, and they're I, more interested in the music. And as long as the artwork is, is just normal artwork and the music is... Reason, you know, the production is reasonable. It's like, well, then people manage to get into the songs. It's not, That's it's the beauty a, of technology yeah. now between self-promotion on oh, the internet man. and, and being able I to produce. When I made my first record, <laughs> the, the, the console was almost as big as this bar, an old Neve Desk 64 <laughs> Just huge. Absolutely huge. Now, now, we can get the same kind of recording on that laptop almost. Yeah, I know. Hey, you can even use your phone. As an artist, as an artist. <laughs> you don't, it's liberating. Yeah, it's absolutely. absolutely liberating. You, you don't need choose. the industry anymore. No. Especially at your point. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's like, for 30 years, you made your fan base, and you right. know how to connect and reach them now. And you reached the, the entire world in a massive fan base with Maiden, so... Yeah. You know, you can, like, you just, people know your name, you know? So yeah, that's, I'm very lucky. That's I'm great. Very, Before that... very lucky to have that... We don't... When, when we go out, we're not... Uh, a covers band, we're not right. a tribute band. Mm -hmm. We are a, a band that goes out and it's about following me as Blaze Bailey on my journey as an artist in this genre. I just am metal. I write music, it comes out metal. And that's, that's what I do, that's where I am. And I think I'm very lucky just to have this tag of former... Iron Maiden. You still, you, you still associated... Go, oh, so that's, that might be interesting to listen to. It just gives me... You're still associated chance. with them, though, right? Yeah, you, yeah still, You, you did, still did some recording at Steve Harris's studio. Well, um, Steve said to me, well, if you ever need to use my studio, you know, that you can use it. And uh, I was really up against it with an album I was doing called King of Metal. And I just run out of money completely. And I said, Steve, can I use the studio? Because I've got to get this album mixed and I've run out of time and I've run out of money. And he said, yeah, no problem. Just pay the engineer. Don't No charge for the studio. Oh, wow. And yeah. I managed to finish that album and, and get it out and, and follow. And it's really, really helped me. Did, uh, so when, how did you find out that Bruce was coming back and that you were out? Um, well, I didn't pay much attention to internet at that time and right. the forums and everything. I mean, computers are so slow, it's bored. Yeah. Crap 
And um, so I had no idea that, and I was called into a meeting, um, and then everybody was there, and I thought it was a meeting about the next part of the tour and album releasing and stuff like that, but it wasn't. It was a, just to fire me, really, yeah. the meeting was. I mean, fair play to everybody. You got your, you got your P45. They, they did so. it face to face, yeah. <laughs> um, and they started saying a lot of things which I don't really want to go into. But one of the, and I said then, well, just let me stop you there. Is Bruce coming back? And there was a silence, and nobody <laughs> could look at me. Yeah. Well, Rod, the manager, said yes. So that was decided before I was right. Right. And uh, and that was it. I was out, and uh, I it, just said to the guys at the time, "Well." I'll never bad mouth this band. And for me, the world is a much better place if it has Iron Maiden in it. We need Iron Maiden in the world. You know, and that's, that's my genuine feeling from being in the band, from playing to so many fans and the way that the music really touches people in a way that, you know, other music can't. You know, as metal fans, the way that we take things to heart. Well, yeah, you got to, get, you got to sing... All the classic stuff as well. So, yeah, so, so it was fantastic for me. It was a fantastic it, time. So I've got no regrets about it. It was very well taken care of. Um, afterwards, you know, I wasn't just cast out or anything like that. Everything was done all the proper Did they give way. you a golden no parachute? Did you get a severance? Yeah, yeah. I spent all the money that <laughs> nice. I had on my own albums. You know, <laughs> making, my own al making my own albums, getting my own band together and... Uh, that was it. You know, if I'd have retired at that point, I'd have been okay. But as it was, I kept going with music. I have some questions. What were your favorite Maiden songs to do, and were there any songs you weren't able to do while you um, were in there? Yeah, well, they wouldn't change the tuning for me. And so any of the new songs that we wrote were all, of course, fine. But some of the older songs were just... They were just too difficult. My voice isn't there. I'm not Bruce. I don't have that range. I'm strong in other areas. Um, so one that I really want... Well, two that I really wanted to do. One was Infinite Dreams. Mm -hmm. And the other one was Wasted Years. And You it, didn't play Wasted Years? No. Wow. I, I wanted to. I said I'd really like to have Wasted Years in a set list on Virtual Eleven. But I need that played in a lower key, so you have to detune right. the guitars, right. and they wouldn't do it, and uh, so so that was it, I could never, I could never do that one really, yeah. no, as wow. far as a, a few of them, I think I enjoyed singing Clairvoyant, mm -hmm. and obviously Trooper and Hallow Be Their Names, yeah. they're such huge, iconic songs. Someday they're going to do Alexander the Great live, just know you know, I doubt they will, but I'd love it, a hilarious moment. Was when we were in Greece, people would say, "Oh, do Alexander the Great," uh, and, I, and I thought, "Oh, I wonder if that's even possible." And I went back and I listened to Alexander the Great. Man, it's it's huge. It's a great song. Like, There's a lot of keyboards on it. And I said, oh, "Have you ever thought about Alexander the Great?" <laughs> no, we're not doing that. So it's a massive, <laughs> huge song. Nobody wants to do it. It must have been hell to get that song together. Well, they used to do Run the Ancient Mariner live. Well, yeah. Yeah, which is 14 minutes. Yeah, I, I think to get that together, I think, and Alexander the Great's got so many bits in it, man. It's, so, well, it's an epic song. It's, it's like a Sleeper Maiden song that people don't is. talk about. It's the last song on it's the last song it's the last song on Summer Time, time yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, they, they, uh, they still question along the song thing. When Bruce came back, he actually did two of the songs from your era. Yeah. Um, what did you think when you heard his interpretation? I think it was just a great singer. He's just a great singer. He can sing anything, really. Yeah. So he's a fantastic singer. Did a great job on those songs. And I'm glad um, they were acknowledged. Yeah, yeah I gotta yeah, say, I gotta say know, that that's pretty. That's pretty Alfred amazing. Alfred doesn't do songs. No, Alfred doesn't do so ripper songs. Bruce come back and do those two songs. I thought that was well. I think really, <laughs> Maiden is about the music, and it's not about the politics or anything like that. It is about the music. So just as it was a pleasure for me to sing Bruce songs and Paul's songs, I think when Bruce came back, it's a part of the Maiden thing and yeah. a part of what I respected so much about the late Ronnie James Dio was he always had time for a Rainbow song or yep. a Sabbath song in his set, no matter how many albums he'd done of his own. And I, I think that's what I do. I follow that thing. Well, I'm metal. I, I, you know, you cut me on metal all the way through so I'm very proud of everything I've done I, I never went off and did an album of show tunes you know what I mean <laughs> that would be difficult to incorporate in the set everything I've done I'm proud of I did it with my heart and soul and in the set that we play tonight we have a song from Wolfsbane one of the first songs that I ever did from the first album and I'm, it's as cheesy as anything the lyrics are <laughs> really, well, just, I wouldn't write them now, but we still do it because that's a part of my past, a part of who I am, a part of why I am the way I am. And as metal fans, I want to certainly trace, I want to draw a line, oh, you can trace that person back to them. And I think other fans do as well. So I think that's normal with Maiden. They're far more credible in a way that, all the music that they've done is valid. And it's kind of, if you're looking at um, Bruce Springsteen, really, for a, an equivalent in the rock world, whereas he's always had time to do a song from any album and bring it back, I think it's the same with Maiden. Yeah, I, I, I had a question. What, uh, where did the name Blaze come from? Well, we were all thinking of dumb, glam, stupid names for ourselves. <laughs> um, Years and years ago, when we started Wolfsbane, I think we had one one name we thought up for what the one drummer was Slot Wrecker. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> slot Wrecker is going to be the drummer. You'll be Slot Wrecker. Yeah, that's really oh, cool, isn't I'm, it? I'm stealing and, that. And wow. I ended up with Blaze Bailey. That, that wouldn't work in this day. And age. Because my name is Bailey Cook, and uh, Bailey is a common last name. And often, I'd say, the people say, what's your name? I'd say, Bailey. They say, no, what's your first name? And you hear that a few hundred times. And you start saying, you think I don't know my own first name? What's wrong? What sort of retard do you think I am? <laughs> I don't know my own first name. And I've been politically correct. That word was acceptable back in the 80s. It's, it's yeah. totally fine. We so, say it all the time. Um, you believe me. So, uh, I, I, I You're safe like, here. You don't and so uh, we all thought these dumb names. I'll call myself Blaze Bailey. And then um, the first time somebody said, oh, hi, what's your name? I said, Blaze. And they said, oh, really? And they never said, is that your first name? I was like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. And I just stuck with it. And then we came to do the first album. It just stuck yeah. with it. Uh, the, with then. So in music, people know me as Blaze Bailey. 
and uh, I've just gone to stuck with it, really. Yeah. Have it, what's, uh, like, what's the most memorable moment on stage with Maiden? Yeah. Um, I think the, uh, the, there's a couple of really memorable moments. One is in Phoenix, Arizona, where we played like the smallest gig I ever played with Maiden. And uh, it was absolutely incredible because there's no stage set, so no nothing. And it was in the round. <laughs> and there was no barrier. And you could literally go... Was only, uh, it was like 500 fans, something like this. Wow. You could go and touch people. And it was like... It was the most incredible, incredible feeling. And I wrote a song about that. Um, about that experience as well. What's that song? That's called... Okay, can we curse on here? Yeah, That's totally. called Motherfuckers Are Us. <laughs> and it's on my Silicon Messiah yes. album. Yes, your first. Yeah, it's, on, yeah. it's on my Silicon Messiah album on the anniversary <laughs> edition of that, um, on the CD for that, and it's about that. And then the other thing, I suppose, is in Chile. It's a very famous YouTube clip now where I lose my temper on stage in Chile. And uh, what had happened... He unleashed was, the fury. Yeah, I think... <laughs> Turned into Ingve. Yeah. We just... It went crazy because um, people had been waiting for 20 years to see Maiden in Chile because Maiden were banned. They were, you know, as you know, yeah. like one of the bands that took metal to places it had never been before, uh, you know, behind the Iron Curtain and all yeah. of this in the early years. And they got booked for Chile and they were banned by the church because of the cover of Number of the Beast, mm. Iron Maiden, were apparently, according to the church in Chile, Satanists. Well, you've never met people who could be more, less satanic, yeah. really. Yeah. They're just guys that like to drink and play music. So, um, <laughs> obviously, you know, it, so they were banned. Well, in the meantime, Metallica, Bon Jovi, everybody, Black Sabbath, had been and played in Chile, but Maiden still hadn't been there. So you can imagine the expectation of those fans. Yeah. What happened, we, we, we were backstage, tour manager comes in, 45 minutes till stage, okay, well, it's not my warm-up. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes till stage, I said, well, what happened to 45 minutes? The support band are off. They were bottled off. Oh, oh shit. shit. So they got to do what? The singer's bleeding on his head and all of this business. So you can imagine how it's like, oh, so we're going on. Yeah, you've got to go on early because we're worried about a riot. And all of this sort of, oh, bloody hell. We're backstage when the light comes down. And then you hear that sound that you often hear at concerts where, when the lights go down, we all start screaming. And man, that was the loudest, most incredible sound at that concert of any concert. That so tw- how many people? We've made it. That was 20,000 people. Wow. And it was just incredible. Yeah. And we all looked at each other in the band like, wow. So it was incredible. Then we go out, we start the set, and it's, go, it's going great, we're getting a good reaction. And I look over to my right, and Dave Murray, he's just standing still, and he's right at the back. Oh, that's not normal. He's normally, you know, get up the front, giving it something. And Yannick's not hardly moving over there and all of that. I go over to Dave's side, and there's some guy spitting. And anybody that goes and stands on that, in that little bit, these six guys are spitting. And I'm like, that's bang out of order, that is. So I stopped the set after the truth, and it's 
this whole I can't believe they were close enough to hit the stage. This, I know. This whole episode <coughs> is on uh, Chilean TV, actually bootlegged the entire gig. But only the bit where I lost my temper has made it onto YouTube. Right. And um, th the whole thing that I say is, well, there are people up there that would give their right arm to be in the front row. And they've waited a long time. And you, six guys, are destroying this show for them. Because we can't perform the way that we want to perform. So that's completely unfair for all of the other fans here. You, I've never seen the clip. Did you, did you actually so, say that? Yeah, well, it's not in the clip. It's before oh, I lose okay. my temper. Because I would imagine they might not have been able to understand. That's what I say before I lose my temper. <laughs> right. And as I lose my temper, I, I start saying, well, get out. Get these guys out. I'll kill you myself. I'm ready to go. jump off the train. They're so <laughs> Infuriated. I hate this whole thing where people think they're more important than the rest of the audience. We're all there to see the band. We all want to watch our heroes. We want to watch these musicians we've been waiting to see for such a long time. And the last thing we want is somebody to spoil the show. And many bands walk off and yeah. stop the show and won't continue after an incident like that. But in Maiden... We didn't feel like that, and I felt like I'm not going to let six people stop the show. Well, that's, yeah, I've, I, I've been a singer for years, and I did arena tours, and the biggest mistake I ever made was getting into a conversation with somebody in the front row. Like, it, it's, this, it's just the big no-no. You don't do it, and unless it's, like, really dangerous, you know? And, uh, yeah, I just, they, they, I got booed for, like, ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. Because well, the whole crowd, thought, they thought I was talking to all of them. And, it was like, you know, because all this, like, nobody's, everybody's half paying attention to the opening band. And, like, and you say something like, fuck you, man, blah, blah, blah. And everybody, what? Yeah. Well, I <laughs> suppose in, in one way, I, w I was lucky <laughs> that it was a very, very specific thing. And security and the, the, the other fans around did managed to get rid of those guys. They did get out, and the show carried on. And it was cool. a big success. It, it was great, but that's... The, the clip that's on YouTube is, is the bit where I lose my temper, not the bit where I explain why I'm angry, <laughs> you know, and I just get more and more worked up. But oh, i got to check the, it out. <laughs> the real story yeah, is, I have to that see that. is a complete, incredible experience, right. and the actual... The, the gig and playing to these people who'd waited so long. And there were many, many gigs on the X Factor tour where it was Maiden were going there for the first time. So I was the first singer for Maiden that people will see. And, and people come and see my shows. Yeah, I was going to say, did that help you in those territories? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. People were far more accepting. Oh, here's I Maiden, we, you know, new singer or not, this is who they are. Right. And... Uh, I think it was good, really. So, in many places, a, a lot of people who went to see the band for the first time or got the X Factor or Virtual Eleven is the first album that they bought or the first Maiden album, then uh, gradually some of those people find out about me. One of the weird, probably possibly comic things that happens to me regularly is the last time I saw you, you were in Iron Maiden. And I'm like, I've made nine albums and toured with everyone. And I've been in it. And yeah. now you come to see me 20 years later. 
So where have you been? Raising kids, probably. Yeah, you know, I don't know, man. It's well, just I, 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 I always feel like that's yeah, why. It's, I, I get those, and of course, I, I have fans who have nothing to do with Iron Maiden. Uh, fans who, who like uh, people who are interested in Sabaton and uh, and Disturbed and people like that who find out about me through the grapevine and discover me in different ways. So I've quite a, a broad. I don't have many fans. I'm a tiny, tiny independent. Artist, but yeah, but if you add them all up around the world, yeah, it turns the, into the a lot. The fans that I have you know? are absolutely so loyal, fantastic. That's awesome, man. And I suppose being independent as well. I'm not trying to get back to arenas. I'm not interested in getting into big theatres. I like to be close, and I like to have the feeling that the sound is reaching people. Yeah, and that. Maybe you'll have no you'll problem with that here. Yeah, the, perfect venue at, for you. <laughs> you'll be at the back of the room tonight, and you'll still be closer than you would be at a lot of festivals. In the front yeah. row. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. I think this is a th this is a thing that I played Donington. I played the main stage at Donington, yeah. and and it was like fucking ridiculous. Like, you're, you're just like, where the fuck? The crowd's so far away. Yeah. You know, and, and at shows I would usually go down into the crowd, and that was one I, I wouldn't be able to get back yeah. on stage. You know, like it was. I don't have a. I didn't have a crew that could lift me up in fucking Bono style. You know, like fucking. It is. It's a really. It's it's so true. And I remember coming back the night before we had played Jacob's Ladder in, uh, or Jacob's Well in. Well, I think it was Leeds. I mean Leeds or it wasn't Birmingham because we'd always play the Academy there. But um, I think it was Jacob's Well in Leeds, and it was like you know. I forget like how many people. It was fucking ridiculous. And we slept on our drum tech's mom's floor. And then yeah. loaded in at 8 a.m. to Donington. To, it was the first download festival. And, and, uh, and like, I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Like, it just went from zero to 100 really fast. <laughs> but it's, that's a wild experience, you know. It's a, and I totally hear you. Like, you know, you're, tonight you're going to have people right up against, you know, right in yeah, front of you. And it's, 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 it's the normal thing. Yeah. I mean, this is an energetic, intimate room. So it's, it's what you... Yeah, I mean, we've had, me we've had you, Megadeth play here. We've yeah. had Anthrax play here. I'm, you know, at Gojira, big bands like that, and uh, that's why they do it, you know? It's like, the only person I argue with about barriers is their tour managers. The bands don't seem to fucking care. Well, because the bands <laughs> know what they're getting. If you're at a bigger level and you're coming here, you got to go into the old school mentality of when, before you broke, and when you were coming through the clubs. Yeah, but there's a lot of people who won't is. play without their production. And it's some like people just, love yeah. it, and some people I, don't. I, I swear, I'm lucky, really, that... Uh, I performed at every level. Yeah, you've got now. Now I here. have a choice, so I could I could really the the places that I go. We have just two rules that we stick to. One: Do they treat the fans with respect? Can I do a signing and meet the fans after? Oh right, yeah, I got an email about that. Yeah. Two. Totally. Do they care about the sound? And if we go to a venue. And they don't care about the sound for the fans, even whether it's for me or anybody else. If we feel they just don't care about the sound here for people, and if they don't care about the fans, then we don't go back. It's just well, neither, and they would most likely be out of business pretty quickly because. Well, I don't know because <laughs> I, I just. That's pretty much know. the bottom. That's like the bottom of the rung. Things for that me, need to be good. It's <laughs> just as a fan, 
you know, when I go and see someone, I don't care if it's a big if it's a big venue or a small venue, but I do care that it sounds good. And the size of the venue is, doesn't have anything to do with how right. good it can sound. That's if the people care about it. You can make almost any room sound reasonable. And then just treating people with basic respect. I was at uh, I've done a couple of places where I've I've said to the promoter or the owner of the gig before, right. I have to sign and meet my fans after the show. So you better make sure that there's time for that. What is your curfew? When do you throw people out? I need time to meet my fans after the show. Because at every single Blaze Bailey show, there is a free meet and greet after the show. And, oh, yeah, we've got, there's got time. And then you find that the security are throwing everybody outside. Yeah. What's happened to the meet and greet that was supposed to have? And there are people on the street. So in Buenos Aires, I was on the street with 300 fans surrounded on my own with no security, signing like this with everybody. But you know what's really phone. stupid about that? Is it, is it to break out and everything. <laughs> and they go, why didn't you come back inside? And I'm going... They could have made what? bar money. Yeah, I was going to say, well, those assholes fault. could have made money. Yeah. <laughs> this is your fault. Why am I going to go back inside now when the people who actually made it possible for me to come here, I could say thank you to... I'll tell you what, I would, oh, man, it's just too much. That happened to me in Buenos Aires. That happened to me in Barcelona. That to me in another couple of places. Do they close the bars early then? They just... What they do is they put everybody on so late uh. that they go, right, as when you finish... Bang, clear the room. Yeah. And a lot of these places, there's an event afterwards. So in Barcelona, yeah. it's going to turn into another club. Night, probably a nightclub, yeah. A lot, a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. we do that. It's, it's yeah. economics. But if you're going to do that, well, I need still, then you've got to move the stage times. So I can right. go on early. The whole so show has to go early, yeah. Yeah, yeah. everything has to, because I don't sacrifice the time. And uh, at, with the guys I work with in Brazil, I made it very clear to them. I said, this is my credit card. This is what I will be using to take the next flight home if I don't get the meet and greet after the show. <laughs> That's it. And uh, I did manage to sign for everybody there right. on my whole Brazilian tour. And it was, of course, it was great sometimes. You know, we went to Athens on this tour recently, and the meet and greet took longer than the gig itself. <laughs> the set. It, it was longer than the set. At the end of the set, nobody left the room. They just turned around and joined the queue for the meet and greet. You, you know, it's so funny. You know who else? You know who else and does that? At me like, are you sure you don't want to finish now? Well, if you've been <laughs> waiting in that queue for an hour, how are you going to feel if I just go? Oh, but I've got no time for you. Well, like, <laughs> like, yeah, like Johnny Rotten. Well, yeah. no, except he he acted really nice to the fans, but he wasn't being very nice. Anyway, he did a signing here, your book signing. You know who does that is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's Johnny up there. Um, we have we have lots of book signings here. Tony Iommi did one here. It was pretty fucking cool. Um, the uh, uh, Steve Grimmett from uh, from Grim Reaper. Yeah. Like when they they played here twice, and he like right after the show, straight to the merch, and the line was to the stage, and his people just like fuck every person that was in the building, got an autograph and hung out and everyone like, really appreciates. Yeah, that. it's it's nice. I don't know if it makes any difference. It, well, it, if it does for well, you, who gives a care. shit? Yeah. If it makes it a difference or not. For me, it's a, it's, a, it's a personal thing that I feel I should say thank you. It's the smallest thing. I'm thousands of miles away from home 
what else am I going to do? Yeah, all this effort was put into this. Thank you yeah. to the people who made this possible. And those are the people that buy the tickets and the CDs. Well, Why not just... Blaze, you know, what's, that's what, how I feel. What's interesting about that... makes any difference. What's interesting about that is, is that you... you, you um, and I, I think about this all the time, like when, when I get to tour over, overseas or like play big shows and stuff. I, I, you, like when you really step back and think about it, you're like, you know how much it takes... For like, like people are spending time is precious, and people are taking their time and their money, and you know how many hours out of their night traveling from wherever to come see you play, and because you wrote some song or did you know and they, like when I put that in perspective, it's mind-boggling to me, especially when you're doing it in another country where you're not from. And I remember when I first started, like even when you went to another town, they say I played in Boston, and people showed up. Like, what the fuck? And then the first time I went to Germany, it was like, the fucking show sold out. Like, you know, sold out 200 people. But, I mean, what the fuck? How did you even know who we are? You know what I mean? It's, <clears throat> so it's, it is, it does, it is important and it is cool. I think it's, you know, and it's, people are going to remember you in a lot nicer light, you know, if they get to meet you. And I mean, you're a very nice person, you know, at least, at least in right now. <laughs> I tried to Don't spit on the fucking stage. I tried to give that illusion. Yeah. <laughs> you got but that hard true. accent. I mean, but I've, I met, <laughs> I've met who were my musical heroes as a teenager, and they were dicks. And you don't forget That's it. That's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a phrase I use as often as possible. <laughs> meeting, any sign of trouble or danger, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> meeting Blackie Lawless when the first Wasp album came out and they played it every day, and he didn't have the twelve. It was at a, it was at a signing, and he wouldn't even look me in the eye or you know say thank you. I had three copies of Fuck Like a Beast on the album, tell them how much I love the band, and he wouldn't even look at me. Yeah, but it. yeah, but Ron, you know that doesn't fly anymore. Like you can't. Yeah, but it's it the thing when you're a kid. Only you know, Richie, Richie Blackmore acts like I that now. one of the great things about social media, isn't it? Is that... They get it, exposed. That, it, it, that peop, we start to find the truth about people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, obviously, there's a lot of crap out there and people make up stories, but I think generally we can start to see, well, hang on, maybe there's something that's not quite right about that. Well, I think it's people, a lot of people have had to correct the behavior yeah. because of it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because there's, a, yeah, there's, a, there's a, a light on them now. A, a hilarious thing for me, anyway, it was hilarious that um, I saw, I, I won't name the person, but I, I saw one artist come out of the backstage door and look in horror as it, it was something like 20 yards to his tour bus and there were 12 Italian fans with pens and paper and he was horrified that he would have to get through. So he went back in, got security, and went to his tour bus. And never did sign for those fans. And I thought, well, how long would that have taken? It takes five minutes. Yeah, exactly. It takes a few seconds. And here's the thing, which, uh, which this happens to me. Here's the thing. You know what? When people get the photo and the autograph, they leave you alone. And I, th I, I sometimes think, well, maybe that's... That's the reason. You still want all of that attention. You don't want people to leave you alone. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's a problem. Why are you in this business? But, but for me, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've, been to, I, I've had the opportunity to hang out at bars and hang out after gigs and, and all of that. And generally speaking, it's a ball like at first. You go there, everybody wants a photo. And all that. But after that, everybody leaves you alone. 
it's generally speaking that's what happens so yeah. uh, for me it's it's not really a problem doing that. I can't really hang out like I used to. I was going to say, because your voice, voice yeah, it, especially in a loud bar, you're going to be talking. And, and my and schedule is much tougher now than it used to be. Yeah. So now we have five, six, sometimes ten nights in a row. Yeah. And uh, you've got to last for that. So I'm like the, a, a real meeting me for a lot of people is a, is a disappointment or an anticlimax because I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't speak. So, <laughs> it's like, he's the most boring person in the world. What's the show going to be like yeah. with this guy? He's sort of so fucking miserable when he's walking around. So, and he's like, oh, aren't you getting up for the show? Yeah, come on, let's... No, I'm not getting up for the show. I'm, not. I'm saving every drop of energy to put down that mic at the end of the show. Shut up, and I'm ready for the next... Uh, to, to stay ready for the next gig. It's just tough. That's just reality. If you want to do what I do at my level and play these places, then that's what you have to do. It's a discipline. But why are you doing it? For me, I do it because I love to sing, and I love this music. I love to do it, and I'm very grateful that I have the support of so many incredibly loyal fans. So most of my fans understand that I'm trying to save my voice for the next fan. The thing that really winds me up when I'm on tour is if people try and force me to drink, or have shot. Hey, have a shot. Sometimes, if I, if the schedule isn't too tough, I'll have a couple of beers after the show. But oh, I have a couple of shot. Have a shot. I'm like, no, it's damaging to my voice. No, it's not. It's good. I'm like, well, are you a doctor? No, it's not. Are you <laughs> no, are you a doctor? Not. How many years have you been singing? Please tell me, because I've been doing it for quite a while now, and I still have my voice. Yeah. So please tell me why you think. You well, it's. It's, it's very so much. It's annoying. it's their one night out. It's their one night out, it's and so annoying, it's your fifty nights out. You know, so it's not a night out. It's work. Well, I'm for them, here, but I'm saying for them. This is, my, this is their night out. Yeah, so that's fine. Right. That's fine. You can have a night out. I want you to enjoy yourself. I want you to. If if your idea of a night out is to watch my show and then obliterate the memory of it, that's fine. <laughs> that's absolutely fine. I'm not going to get in your way. Please don't invite me to obliterate the memory of it as well. <laughs> I don't drink, so I'm with you. Yeah, um, <laughs> I do. Um, the uh, so uh, let's wrap it up. You uh, got a new album out. Well, the, I've, it's a trilogy that okay. I'm doing. It's based on a book that I'm writing. It's a science fiction story. I had this uh, idea when I was working on one of my songs. And the trilogy is called Infinite Entanglement. And because I'm independent, and I am the record label, I can set the release date. So last year, it was 1st of March. This year, it was, I think, on or around the 1st of March. Next year, for part three of the trilogy, it's on or around the 1st of March. So we've done one tour, the Infinite Entanglement tour, for part one. We bought out this album this March, and we've been all around Europe, and this is, part two is called Endure and Survive, and at the end of this tour, we go into the studio and do part three. Everything's, everything's written already? Fully, you, no, no, just, you know, a few blanks to, to fill in, which is very scary, and um, hopefully, if things go great, then we can come back and bring part three and do the tour with part three. I'd love to, to be regular over here. How'd the European tour go? Oh, absolutely fantastic. Quite a few sold-out gigs. And the problem 
for me is that many people said that part two the, was better than part one. Endure and survive, they like better than infinite entanglement. And so, of course, that puts the pressure on. Yeah. Yeah. Part three, the pressure's right? on. And I, like, well, I only wanted to, all I was trying to do was get it as good as the first right. one. But people are saying, oh, it's better. It's very dark because Infinite Entanglement, that album is about the start of a journey to go to one of the Earth-like planets discovered by Kepler Space Telescope, a private space mission to go and explore that and make sure it's habitable. And part two is the end of this journey of a thousand years because there's no faster than light travel. So the main character has survived this journey of a thousand years and now they don't want him to get to that planet. The ship and the central computer are trying to eliminate him, get him off the ship because they don't want any shred of DNA getting onto that planet that isn't the perfect human, genetically engineered DNA from the people who have put that mission in place. And so he has to survive this attempt to destroy him. And that is the darkness of the Endure and Survive album, which many people seem to to uh, really So let's give it away now. Is the next one going to be triumphant? Well, I can't really tell you. In a power metal sort of way? I've got a feeling I know where he is, but... One of the reasons it's a trilogy is that when we were putting the, the list of songs together on, for the first album, it's like, well, this song doesn't fit, does it, as part of the story? It's actually, for a third album, wh- what this lyric and this music says, this is where he is at some point in the future, this isn't now. We, so then it was an immense amount of courage to go, we're going to make three albums. Because when you're on a big record label or any kind of record, they tell you when the release date is. And because I am the record label, I could say, we're going to make three albums and we're going to do it. I don't know how we're going to finance it. I don't know how we're going to do anything. We're, we're going to do it. And we're going to ask the fans. And the fans ordered, my fans pre-ordered my album and I was able to go to the studio and make it. And then I pre-ordered Endurance Survive. And... We've managed also to bring out vinyl as well to go with the Infinite Entanglement album, part one. We've got vinyl coming out with the Endurance Survive album. That'll be out soon. That's on pre-order. And for the next one, we'll be able to do the CD and at the end of the tour, the vinyl as well. So I was going to ask you, I'm a big vinyl guy, so I was going to yeah, ask you about that. And it's, like, it's the heavy vinyl, the proper one. 180 grand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we had... Um, the first one sounds absolutely great on vinyl. And then we had this special master done for the vinyl of Endurance Survive. Right. Oh, you had it specifically uh, mastered for the uh, vinyl? The guy, well, That's he didn't great. even ask for it. Yeah. And the really? guy that does the mastering, he's this like, kind of mega geek, kind of uh, mad professor. No, I mean, it's good he did that because records that are, uh, that it can suck. also given you special master. <laughs> For the vinyl. <laughs> That's a lot of work. And wow. Yeah, and, he, and he's done this thing, and it just sounds absolutely incredible. Please, that was pretty good. You should be in the next Pirates of the Caribbean. CDs. We never asked for CDs. They forced us to have CDs. Right. So we had to buy our collection. 
all over again on this, what was supposed to be amazing quality, but was actually limited by the technology at the time. And no one, of course, told us that we've had to throw away quite a bit of the sound because we can't fit that on CD. Right. We can fit it, but we could fit it on vinyl. And now we're all going, you know, vinyl sounds better. And actually, the mechanics of it are that you can put more information onto vinyl than you can onto CD. And that's why we all love the sound of, you know, it feels like the band are in the room. It's warm. It's, a, that, it's that feeling. That's why. There's just more information. There's more of what you heard in the studio. He's actually there. And they gave us this lie of the CD. Well, that's, so that's about money, years. man. It's a very convenient <laughs> format. I absolutely love the format of CD. And it's the reason why the music industry is yeah. dead now, so, you know. That's it. I'm a vinyl purist, so I'm with you. Speaking Once they that, opened up that gate... Um, the two Iron Maiden records you were on just got reissued on vinyl yeah, in the last fantastic. few months. Have and you I, heard them yet? I had a special sign-in on the day. I was in uh, Helsinki and uh, a venue very much like this. I, I just phoned them up and said, you know what, the vinyl's out. Could we just do a, you know, we'll put it on social media. Could I just come in? Anybody that's bought that vinyl, I'll come in and sign it for them. And we had about 30 people show up. It was great. Really, really nice to meet people. And brought a lot of other I know people. exactly where you played because I played the same venue yeah, two months ago. Yeah, yeah place, the downstairs. Oh, fantastic, yeah. isn't it? It was great. Really Super fun. Really they, have, they also had a big upside down cross on the door that was yeah. made out of duct tape. So. <laughs> yeah, so it's great that those have come out. And you know, those two records, you know, they, they came out in the mid-90s. They didn't come out in the U.S. at all on vinyl. Yeah. And the vinyl was incredibly rare. So it was yes. a long overdue reissue. Yeah. And, uh, I saw them and they, they look great. Yeah, they're, they're good. And uh, well, uh, at my shows, then it doesn't matter if I'm on it, I sign it, is what I normally say. So if you <laughs> want to bring along, I know it's vinyl's very precious. So if you want to bring along your vinyl to, to my shows and get it signed, any of my stuff from I made in all Wolf Spain, then if I'm on it, then I sign it. Cool. Uh, so this is the first day of tour, right? This is the second. Day. We Second. were in Sellersville at Sellersville Theatre last night. It was incredible, absolutely incredible. The reaction, I just could not believe it. So I'm really hoping that, that this is going to be... Where the hell is Sellersville? It's in Pennsylvania. Oh, I should have guessed Pennsylvania. Yeah. 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 Sounds it's like a really town in Pennsylvania. Nice. It's a theatre. It's an old theatre. Yeah. It's a very small theatre. Cool. Like a, movie, a very small movie theatre that they've put a stage in and converted all... You know, seated and everything, but a fantastic, fantastic first show. You couldn't get better, really. So this is the first one in the city. Awesome. Well, good luck oh. with the rest. Yeah, of Yeah, good luck with everything, man. It looks like you have another thing you got to do. Some sort of camera set up over there. So I don't want to take up any more of your time because okay. you, well, you are going to have to sound Thanks check. Thanks for having us. Please check pleasure. out blazebailey.net to get the two news and visit my shop. And if you could visit on Facebook, official. Blaze Bailey is where I'm hanging out on Facebook. And also, I think there's something on Twitter and Instagram as well. So you can probably find me there if you want. I'm there's sure on no your website. Photos there. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going there. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. This is a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Cheers.